Hi, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. My name is Kanal, your host, and today we're here with Madison Mandel, uh, the co-founder of Brown University Votes, um, and a, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this like the Swear Center of- Swear. Swear, like swear, like profanity, okay. Uh, swear Center Civic Engagement Fellow um, at Brown. You're also, I guess, a junior and a half, something like that at the university. Um, so no, it's great to have you here with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here and I'm really excited for this conversation and thank you for the incredible work that you do. Of course, of course. Um, so yeah, no, let's get into it. Uh, for our viewers, talk a little bit about your background, you know, touch on how your studies at, at Brown are going and of course your future career. Yeah, so I, as I meant, as, <laughs> as we discussed, I'm a junior and a half currently um at brown and i am a history concentrator mm. so um i have a lot of reasons as to why i chose to study history in particular um a lot of it does have to do with what i want to do in the future um you know i definitely am very interested in the civil rights civil liberty space obviously voting rights as as being you know fundamental to that um and i think a big problem that i constantly run into and notice is sort of a lack of understanding of history when it comes to sort of policy making, when it comes to those discussions about current events. Um, and it's very important for me to have historical context to be able to understand everything happening in the present and, and what's going to happen even in the future. Um, you know, learning from past mistakes to avoid repeating them. And um, I think that's been really helpful. Also, Brown University has an open curriculum. So I've really been able to take courses from um, a wide variety of disciplines. And I think being able to kind of, you know, view issues from different uh, like pedagogies and, and, and viewpoints, um, different kind of academic approaches has been really helpful as well. And I think it will serve me in whatever I end up doing in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of, yeah, that's definitely how, you know, my education now is hopefully shaping what I'll do. Yeah. And what would you want to do in the future before we get into the conversation? Um, I'm not entirely sure yet, but definitely think I want to go into law. Um, um, I, I think that obviously there are challenges in, in, in the legal field in terms of enacting change, but I think that um, there are ways to kind of engage responsibly in that and to use the law as a tool for change and also having a good understanding of the law to be able to prevent um, abuse of the law, um, if that makes any sense. No, no, it makes complete sense. I actually, a lot of um, close friends of mine are, are like civil rights lawyers. So trust me, I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, and actually I, I interned with the ACLU of Connecticut, um, for the past year. And that's definitely been very inspirational and, and has shown me kind of a, a potential, you know, career path there. Yeah, no, the ACLU is a good place to start. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for that information. Um, but I wanted to ask, I guess, preeminently you've entered kind of the political sphere um, mm -hmm. in some sort. So why, why do that? Why go the political route? You're obviously interested in law. Um, and what specifically drew you to like activism and community organizing, voting rights, you know, et cetera? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So I think kind of with my initial interest in the political sphere emerged at a very young age. So on my mom's side of the family, my grandparents came from Cuba. Um, so they kind of fled oppression there to come to the United States. And so I grew up hearing those stories about, you know, and my awareness of political systems and injustice was definitely heightened. Um, and I think I kind of took that into 
that kind of carried on, you know, through with me. And I also live in a place where I live, I'm from New Haven, um, Connecticut, and there's a lot of community organizing that happens there. And I think I was very inspired by that growing up as well and seeing how kind of like on a, on a very local level, um, political activism and, and just mobilization in that sense could uh, really be, you know, could really, you know, change could really come from that, um, really drive change. And I think that was very, like that energy was inspiring to be around for sure. Um, yeah, no, local change is, is the best. Yeah. In my opinion, I worked a lot locally. So trust me, I know the feeling yes. uh, where you can really touch it. Exactly. Um, exactly. But I guess, you know, on the, on the topic of activism, what are the, you know, not like macro scale, but like, what are the core values, the policy objectives you're hoping to accomplish, not only with Brown votes, kind of explain what you do with Brown votes and I guess voting rights as a whole, you've obviously worked for the ACLU, so you have some legal interest. Like, what is it that you want to advocate for long, long term? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think really what it boils down to for me has always been sort of like equality um, and representation and being able to influence society um, in a way that, you know, is, is equal, um, in a way that everyone's voice is valued. Um, and I think those, those sort of undergird like the work that I do and that I want, what I, what I want to see in the future. Um, I definitely think that voting rights is sort of like a stepping stone and an important thing to have guaranteed in order for other sort of like bigger policy objectives to be accomplished as well. Um, so that's kind of why I have so many, you know, I can go into that as, as I said for hours, talk about all the policies that I'd like to see be implemented. But I think really what kind of has driven me to voting rights in particular is that that sort of is, you know, the foundation of all of that, in my opinion, a big part of the foundation of that change to come. Um, and like, regardless of, of what policies you want to see be implemented, like it all starts there. Um, so I think that's been a way for me to feel sort of like, being able to engage with a bunch of different issues in a, in a centralized way and focus my efforts into one into one place. Um, and I think that's definitely why I've been especially drawn to to voting for those kind of two reasons that I, that I mentioned. And obviously, in the future, I'd like to see a lot more um, voter accessibility legislation being passed. Um, you know, the restoration of the Voting Rights Act, in particular, um, the you know, like passing the John Lewis Voting Rights Act would. would be incredible that's a first step um in the right direction there and I think kind of uh as we're seeing sort of an assault on our democracy right now with uh, a lot of voter suppression legislation being passed I'd like to see sort of the opposite of that obviously right yeah no I, I could definitely agree uh but it seems those, those are some heavy tasks yes for sure yeah no good luck <laughs> good luck <laughs> Uh, no, no. Well, we got to stick together. It's a movement. Am I right? Exactly. I mean, I think that's really what's important at the end of the day is kind of a lot of what I do is bringing people together who have the knowledge. Because I, I mean, I personally don't have, you know, so much knowledge or anything like that. And I think it's all about bringing together like diverse, a diverse group of people that can bring their own skill sets to the table and working together and accomplishing those bigger goals. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a pretty defined purpose. Um, the one thing I would add is that running for office is going to answer a lot of those questions. Just, uh, just a tip there. I know some great campaign managers. <laughs> um, 
but no, let, let's let's kind of hone in on 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 voting rights. Yes. Let's look at 2020. Okay. What are your thoughts? Any lessons you learned? It was a crazy year, pandemic, you know, top top to bottom on ballot, you know, votes and and I guess where you are, what work you did, why why did you start Brown Votes actually? That's why do that? Cuz I'm sure it was it was spiraling out of 2020. Yeah. I mean, definitely, it actually, a lot of it for me started in 2018 um, during the midterms. And I think being a student on this campus, especially at Brown, I expected a lot more sort of discussion, engagement on, on, on voting in general. And I think that was kind of lacking in my opinion. And um, we started noticing a couple of my peers and I started noticing that um, we looked at our, our NSOLV data. Are you familiar with NSOLV? Yeah, yeah. I am actually supposed to have Nancy on the show very soon. Oh, she's amazing. I've talked to her before. Yes, I've yeah. actually talked to her before. Um, and yeah, so I think that, um, you know, I, we kind of reviewed past NSOLV data and everything like that and noticed that there were some, you know, it, it was incredible, the data that showed how, you know, few students were actually participating um, in and, and big elections too, not even not even in like municipal elections where I almost expected the turnout to be low, but I, I was very shocked at that. Um, and so along with Kimberly Collins, who is a tremendous organizer, advocate, all does it, does it all. Um, we kind of started collaborating with the Swear Center, identified this problem on campus um, and wanted to see a big change in sort of democratic engagement at large um, on campus and kind of a prioritization of that from our institution. And we know that that is in line with like the values that you know our institution preaches and we thought that there was a little bit of a disconnect there um and we wanted to kind of ensure that that was being you know that was at the forefront um and so we worked with the swear center who was our like public service center and they were extraordinarily helpful getting things you know getting the ball rolling on that and then we kind of just started recruiting a bunch of students as well um because obviously a lot of students are very passionate about the same issue and definitely kind of began with a um because it began in the spring of um like the the when the pandemic started hitting that was definitely a, a right, huge right. challenge and obviously the election was coming up in the a huge elections were coming up in the fall so we definitely had to kind of get everything together quickly and mobilize very quickly um so i think that definitely kind of shaped the direction of our organization at first the fact that we had such a big you know event coming up um, but yeah, that's kind of some context on, on that. Uh -huh. And so how is, I guess, coming off of that, um, how did it turn out at Brown? Cause I'd expect, you know, the, the Ivy league education, no offense, would <laughs> also include, you know, emphasis on liberal arts, which is what they proclaim, um, yes. they do. So, you know, I was astonished when I heard from like Kevin and Zach um, and Patrick, who have also been on the show, I'm plugging my own material right now. Um, they talked about it being virtually non-existent at their university. Yeah. I was yeah. shocked. I was like, "Shit, I'm paying Harvard like geez, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to learn a little something more than what the classroom can provide." So, right. You know, what were your thoughts coming into that, and then of course, coming out of 2020? Yeah. So. I think coming into it again, my you and me both, I was shocked as well, and honestly, a little bit dis or very disappointed. Um, and I think it really, it wasn't so much that there was a lack of interest in that. It was just kind of like there was there was just no sort of foundation for it. Um, and it took 
a group of students like us to kind of say, okay, we want this and we're going to push for this. And then our, you know, administration has been very supportive ever since and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and actually, I personally have been doing research um, with, um, out of like Johns Hopkins, actually the, the Agora Institute. And I've been doing kind of a review of democratic um, engagement at institutions of higher education. And a really big theme has been, you know, sort of like this lack, this complete lack of engagement. 2020 hits, all of a sudden everyone, this becomes like a hot button issue. Everyone wants to start, you know, get going on this. And what that really means um, going forward and, and how to, you know, let's, let's talk about sustainability of these efforts. Let's talk about, you know, everything like that. So it's been very interesting to kind of speak to, you know, tons of students and, and learn from and hear their perspectives on their own institution and, and how they have gotten these efforts up and running. And hopefully, um, now I'm going to plug something. Um, the report that we're creating is sort of a, a very good tool for innovative practice sharing, addressing the challenges in the space, um, and hopefully a guide that will, you know, take what we learned from 2020 and other elections and organizing. I mostly say 2020 because a lot of schools, um, institutions, initiatives really did sort of flourish in 2020 um, and then apply that going forward. Yeah, no. What is this report associated with? So um, it's out of the, like the Agora Institute at Johns Hopkins. At Johns Hopkins, okay. Uh, Scott Warren, who is the former CEO, or he is the CEO um, of Generation Citizen. Okay. Um, we worked together on, on this report. Yeah. Yeah, no, when it comes out, love to have you back on the show. It's going to do that at the end. But yeah, no, any, that's, that's another reason I wanted to get NSOLV involved with the new voting project is because I want uh, an abundance of, of, of data to yeah. analyze and look at when it comes to young people voting. So that is very, very forthcoming. It's very imminent. But no, if uh, Scott would like to come on, you and Scott, talk about the report, I'm sure viewers would appreciate a little bit more insight on the research of, of voting data. Um, yeah. But before we get to that, because that might take some time. Yes. <laughs> with Brown votes, um, mm. you know, why do you think there's such a lack of engagement at higher learning institutions. And this is where folks go to learn. They pay thousands of dollars, probably you know, hundreds of thousands in student debt, and they're not getting taught the simple basic principle of voting. Yeah. Why do you think that happens? Well, first of all, I think that it's important to think of you know, democratic engagement like very holistically and voting as like a step toward that. Um, yeah, I'd have to agree. Right, exactly. And I think that it's the fact that we don't even have that baseline of, you know, everyone participating civically who can um, by, by voting is definitely very jarring. Um, I think it comes down to a lot of different things, honestly, for different people. There's not sort of like one general um, explanation for as to explain the low turnout rates. But I think part of it definitely is apathy. Um, feeling as though, you know, one's vote actually does not carry any weight and can actually enact change. Um, I think it's like sort of like a lack of information where students feel as though they aren't really informed enough to be able to, to cast their vote. And that's, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, information that is not really accessible. And that's, that's a very big problem, both locally and, you know, nationally. Um, but I think that, people who aren't really participating um, just don't really see it as something that is going to make a big difference in their lives or others' lives. And I think that's really the, the root of the problem. And it's really showing people like these are, it's not that people don't care about issues, right? 
They do. And it's really about connecting the issues they care about to electoral politics. And that's where I think there's like a disconnect sometimes. Um, and I think that sort of the values of, you know, really focusing on issue-based, like mobilization around issue issues um, is probably way more effective than trying to convince our, you know, my fellow like youths that it's a civic duty to vote and everything like that. And I think, you know, when there's a system that we might not necessarily fully buy into, it's that kind of rhetoric can be almost off-putting in a sense. Um, and I think that that's been sort of like a traditional way to mobilize. And I think that we need to reimagine that and reinvent that. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point about civic duty and public <laughs> service. You know, one thing I'd have to say is the best way to get folks mobilized is to relate the issue back to them. Exactly. I didn't care. Uh, I mean, vaguely speaking, I, di I didn't activate myself until I saw and I physically understood and acclimated myself to the situation. Then I said, okay, something needs to be done, right? Mm -hmm. On climate change, on everything. And I think to your point, most voters are either alienated, exhausted, like you said, apathetic, um, and purist, which is something I've, I've learned more about. I had a, a renowned author, Paul Loeb, whose, whose book I would recommend to any upcoming activist, Soul of a Citizen. Mm -hmm. um, and he talks about the fact that we're so pure. We think if, if I can't solve the entire issue of voting rights, or the entire issue of climate change, I can't do anything about it. Um, and it's the purest mindset that actually deters us from, like you said, our civic duty. Um, so yeah, that's just something to think about, something to ruminate on. Uh, but no, it is right. Issue-based politics, not identity-based politics. Please avoid that, please. Um, I say, you know, I, I, it is a very colloquial that term that I use is like, somebody asked, you know, um, the Jen Psaki, who is the press secretary, um, you know, who, who is the head of the Small Business Administration? And the first thing she responded with was, it's a South Asian woman. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with the actual work that SBA does. It's, it's just, you know, identity-based politics and, and cultural identity that really influences what we do. Um, but no, that's all great. I also wanted to quickly mention, how was Brown involved in the Ivy League Votes Challenge? Because I know that's like a spectrum across all eight universities. So if you sure. want to touch on the work y'all did. Yeah, so listen, about that, I really think what was valuable. So essentially what it was, was a information sharing, resource sharing coalition, essentially dedicated to the same mission of improving voter turnout on our campuses. And where I think it was very effective was exactly what I just said, as creating a network of like-minded and, and you know passionate individuals who had different vantage points on everything, diverse group of individuals with different backgrounds that can contribute differently. Um, and I think that kind of information sharing and just learning from one another has proved invaluable uh, to the work that at least Brown Boats has done. And those connections that we've facilitated have you know, outlasted that, that the time that we were really focused on, on that coalition. And you know, I'm still in touch with all the people that you mentioned before and our work still together continues. Um, we're always looking for new ways to kind of innovate in this space. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it was a window into what improved uh, channels of communication in the space could unlock, you know, 
at the end of the day, like there's no need to, if one institution is doing something very, very well, there's no need to sort of, you know, keep that separate, like share the wealth, share the knowledge. Um, others can certainly benefit from that. And obviously there are different contexts at, at every institution of, of higher learning, but um, a lot of times sort of like good ideas can be adapted to fit into other contexts. So I think really the benefit of that was that network that was created and the information and resource sharing. Of course. Yeah, no, I think it's very valuable. Like you said, some, it could be invaluable. Like you said, um, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Yeah. You should only have one answer. Um, is voting important? <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> a good answer. Uh, let's move on from that now. No, uh, <laughs> you can explain. <laughs> you can explain why. I'm glad I can unpack that a bit. Yeah. Um, as I said, again, I always like to think about democratic engagement in a very holistic way. But if you don't, you know, voting is the bedrock of that. And I think that, again, going, tying it back to something I mentioned earlier about like my values and in terms of, you know, being able to influence what's happening in your community beyond that that is where voting comes into the, to the picture. Like obviously it's one step of many, but it is a crucial step. And that is one way to have your voice heard. Um, it is the bedrock of democracy. And in order, you know, a democracy is very fragile as we've seen 2020 is a perfect example of that. And if you do not actively work to uphold it and maintain it, 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 it is fleeting. Um, and I think voting is one way that we can really strengthen and uphold our democracy and make sure that, um, you know, everyone is being represented in some senses. Obviously it's not a perfect system and that's not, you know, we're going to work to, to, to get closer to that, but voting is very much the most important, you know, fundamental first step um, in that process of enacting change. Yeah. I, it's not the silver bullet. No, definitely it, not. It's like I say, it's the first step. Um, you know, every chapter of a book has the first page. It's probably the first page for a lot of folks. Um, and maybe that's your whole chapter. But exactly. that's, that's at least um, the bare minimum. Like you said, if, if we're not at an equal level playing field where we know every citizen votes, we can't make exactly. change. Because we don't even know what you want. Exactly. We, we, you just tell me, you know, it's like, just tell me what you want. <laughs> it's, it's the first question, actually. It's pro tip. First question I ask any politician, any political candidate, anybody I meet, is what do you want? you know, from me, from the public, from your service, from your job, from your education, what do you want? Because that is the, that is what I need to know to make our lives easier. Right. Um, yeah. By the way, I charge like too much. So that's a pro tip, free advice. Take it. Don't leave it. No, I'm playing. Um, but let's see, you know, in, in states like right now, Texas, Georgia, you know, Republican conservative state legislators are passing laws that restrict voting voter suppression, accessibility, you know, obviously the folks in the majority want to keep their majority. 100%. It's easy to, to put A and B together. How do yeah. we counteract that? You know, how does Brown votes play into that? How does youth, how does Gen Z, you know, what are your thoughts on, on voting, voter suppression right now? Yeah. I mean, as I said, we are living through, you know, an, an extreme assault on our, our democracy. And this suppression is, is horrifying to see. Um, it is unsurprising in the sense that there was so much rhetoric um, 
surrounding the election being quote unquote fraudulent. Um, and I can, I can see how, you know, people took that rhetoric and ran with it in order to try to legitimize in some sense, the uh, legislation, the voter suppression legislation that they would like to pass. Um, it's a very clear agenda, like you said, or a majority to hold power um, and stay in power as, you know, in terms of what we can do as individuals, obviously these are very, very big you know, systemic issues at play, but there definitely are ways that as individuals and as groups, we can come together collectively to fight this. And for example, um, currently Brown Votes is engaged in the Let Rhode Island Vote Coalition. So essentially it's a coalition of organizations dedicated to increasing voter accessibility. Um, so supporting voter accessibility legislation. So Rhode Island is actually one of two states to still have a um, notary um, slash witness requirement for mail ballots. Right, yeah, I've heard about that. That's in Mississippi too, apparently. So- There's a lot of states. And we're, we're a, you know, a blue state. And um, yet we still have a wide array of policies that make it very difficult to vote in the state, especially by mail. A lot of the, we are really hoping for a sort of codification of the 2020 changes that increased accessibility due to the pandemic. Um, in terms of sustainability purposes, it would be great to have them codified and you know not have to have special measures being passed every year to, to, to increase accessibility. Um, so this coalition is really working on supporting two pieces of legislation, the Let RI Vote Act. Um, and that is something you know that individuals can partake in. That is something where you can show up and testify. I testified, a lot of my peers testified, um, you know, they showed up, they helped with the social media campaign. Um, there are definitely ways to stay involved. So definitely um, look out for campaigns that are promoting voter accessibility legislation, especially in these areas where there's need for improvement or even legislation is being passed that is restricting um, and suppressing the vote. Um, another thing I would recommend is just staying informed and spreading awareness because that's definitely a good first step is to, you know, it, it's kind of, I think it's people's responsibilities to stay informed on that um, and know what's happening in your state and, and, and nationally as well um, and do your part to spread awareness on it, bring attention to it, like have these conversations, why is this happening, let's not beat around the bush here, let's dig into the, you know, let's get into it, why, why is there such a desire to suppress, um, you know, votes and I think it's important to have those conversations. So whether that be writing an op-ed, whether that be even discussing it on a really like small scale, discussing it with your friends at dinner. I mean, everything is important. Those conversations are important. You never know where that's gonna lead. So I really encourage people to kind of stay informed, spread awareness in any way that you know, you're capable of doing. Um, and also there are tremendous groups out there doing work and there are ways to support their efforts. So part of staying informed is learning about understanding the space, who's you know, in the space, who's, what groups are doing this work, how can you support their efforts? How can you bring key stakeholders together? Um, those are definitely some things that I think that we can think about as individuals. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree. The one, you know, I did all the conventional stuff in high school. I'm a senior now, so I get to say that. Um, but I really transcended it when I started working on campaigns. Like I actually did it, you mm -hmm. know, that's, that's kind of how I got here. So yeah, guess you're right. If you, if you have the interest, you have the fire, you seem a lot more energized 
and more you, you remind me of me a couple of years ago uh i feel so old like i've been telling a lot of people that i feel so old I feel, <laughs> you know it you approach burnout as as an organizer too much um and so it's really it's really good to see young people like yourself go out there and work you know us oldies us old folk we really got to just collect the social security and move on but uh yeah no it you're right um now how can folks stay updated on on you know brown votes and what you do if you want to link your socials i'll add them in the description but you know I want to make one more point about youth engagement that I think is particularly important before yeah. I get into that. Make make two more points. Okay. Yeah. I, what you were talking about, Bernard, that made me think and just like how, you know, young people can get involved in this work um, that might seem so detached and out of reach. Um, when it comes to young people in this work, I think that, well, first of all, I do think that 16-year-olds um, should be allowed to vote. Um, I think that when it comes to particularly municipal elections. For example, when we're voting on, you know, school board, these are people attending the school and they're not able to vote on that. Um, and that is like a fundamental issue for me. Um, and I think it speaks volumes on sort of like lack of, again, representation um, on issues that are affecting people. And I really think that building sort of like a, a culture, um, it, I think it's, it's habit building, it's habit formation. And starting people at a young age to start thinking critically and thinking, you know, civic mindedly is so important in order to see that continue throughout the rest of their lives. If that's not sort of ingrained at a young age, I really think that it's hard to get those people to consistently participate civically. Um, and I think it's such an opportunity that institutions have, um, whether that be, you know, middle schools, whether that be high schools, whether that be institutions of higher education, they all have an opportunity to really start, you know, really discussing those values and, and, and engaging um, that population of students. And even students who are not eligible to vote, um, there are many ways for them to be involved democratically as well and engaged. And at the end of the day, for me, it's really important to start locally in your own local context. And I think as young people, local politics probably does not seem like the most appealing thing to be interested in. Um, and, you know, what's happening in your, your, let's just say you live in a town and there's, you know, town drama and politics, everything like that seems so, you know, unimportant, but starting to think about that early on can definitely be vital for habit formation. And it is important. And, and I think setting those sort of, like you start locally and you think, okay, how can I impact my local community? Like, I want to first understand my local community. I want to understand it historically. I want to, you know, understand all the different types of people that live here and what they want and their needs and everything like that. And then, you know, really getting engaged, seeking out information as best as possible, um, participating civically when possible. And then hopefully that, that understanding and, and sort of like information gathering transcends the local context and, and happens in all, for all elections. Yeah. I mean, I got nothing, but that all made sense. Um, it's like the the analogy I always use is uh, they taught us our ABCs when we were in kindergarten. So probably teach us to vote around the same time, you know, maybe give or take 10 years. Um, so yeah, no, our education system, a lot of things come back to the flaws of, of our education system uh, and, and higher learning you could even extend and even our society, we don't emphasize we the 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 benefits, the advantages of voting, right? 
Because wow. let me tell you, you know, the president is not doing much <laughs> for day to day, the average American. He's, he's really not. He's focusing on big picture items. You know, he's trying to get large infrastructure deals passed or voting rights legislation passed, but he's not helping, you know, your roads get built. Uh, maybe the funding is, but even that's your local congressperson, right? You, you got to vote for them. You got to right. vote for your city budget. You got to vote for the city council. You want to vote for the county budget? You want to know why you can't get from A to B in two different counties? Well, it's because the county's failing, you know, transportation services. That's why. Um, you want to know why black and brown folks get arrested at, at a higher rate than, you know, other people, like white people? Because the DA is not doing shit about it. So, you know, candidly speaking, of course. No, 100%. I completely yeah. agree. And I, yeah. I'm really pushing people, you know, I think brown votes are one of our big focuses this semester is, is how do we help people understand their local context better? Who are the actors? Who are the key actors in your local context? You know, what elected officials are actually doing, what are their responsibilities and why voting for them actually matters and where you can make change and impact that. So I completely agree with you. And I think that that is totally missed with a lot of people. Um, and a lot of it is on is intentional. I mean, a lot of local, you know, it, it's suppression in, in a lot of senses where there are some, you know, in my hometown, local elections that were happening and I was trying to stay informed and I, you know, I did everything I could to learn about who was running, but there was no information published about the candidates running. Um, and I think that part of that, we have to question that too. Like why, why isn't there this information out there either? Um, so part of it is about seeking it out and part of it is about understanding perhaps there are some underlying reasons why um, that information is not accessible. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. But um, no, it's been a really great chat. Do plug your socials yeah, um, if you want or at least on Brown Boats. I'm sure y'all are going to do great things. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely check out at Brown Boats on Instagram. You know, our, we have a Facebook page. Y'all got to get a Twitter. Y'all have, have a Twitter. We have a Twitter. Some people don't have Twitter. I'm like. Yeah, we do. Okay, and cool. on our website, um, brownboats.org. Yeah, you know, it'll all be in the description. So. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah, definitely. Is there anything you want to add before we close out? Um, I think that one more thing I want to add is that um, historically i think that a lot of times um sort of like racial equity and anti-racism has not been at the forefront of this work um and it needs to be and that's just a non-negotiable um and i really like to see institutions of higher education not have that be sort of um a second thought but rather be the foundation of their efforts. Um, and that's something that is discussed in, in the report that I'm working on as well. But I think that that's fundamental and that's something that I personally really want to see going forward. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, and I wasn't kidding. If you and Scott want to come back on, um, I recommend this to everybody. If you're working on a new project, a new idea um, in this realm, be my guest. I'd love to learn more, trust me. Yeah, I think that, I would, that would be really great. And I think it would be great to kind of, you know, on a sort of logistical level, learn about sort of the intricacies of, of this work on in the higher ed space. Um, so hopefully that would be helpful for listeners who are trying to get into this work. Cause I do think um, there are, this is another thing, like there are a lot of barriers to entry in this space. Um, and I think we need to kind of make the space as inclusive as possible and take down those barriers. And part of that is being very transparent about information sharing and network building and everything like that. Right, right. And I should mention, 
you're the reason that on vote day, on vote day in Brown, there was no classes, right? <laughs> so I cannot give myself that much credit. Okay. Um, definitely the students were vocal about that. And I think that did contribute to it. It ultimately did come down to a faculty vote. And our president, um, President Paxton, was also very passionate about this. But I do think that that's very important because it did really um, demonstrate to our students that democratic engagement is an institutional priority here. And it was very important too for staff and faculty to have that day off to be able to vote as well. Um, so I do think for many reasons, uh, culture wise, but also logistically that that was very important. And I'm glad that sort of students spoke up and through ground votes kind of expressed their desire to have that be implemented going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's kind of the reason uh, I wanted you to come on is because you made that that happen, even at such a microscopically looking like it's a nominal thing but it made a big difference right um yeah, for sure. it's one domino at a time uh exactly but no yeah no thank you so much for coming on i really you know this part of the show i want to get that collegiate youth perspective folks who are doing it at every level um because it really has to add up it's not you know you do it all or i do it all it's we all do it together um, and I, I want to make that clear um, going forward. So no, thank you so much for coming on the show. Your insight is of course great. Your energy is great. Um, I feel so old. Uh, yeah, no, I got to get the energy up. I got to get some protein. Well, I, I'd like to give a shout out to my whole team at Brown Boats because I truly would not have the same energy and passion if they weren't there alongside me every step of the way and the Swear Center supporting us too. So shout out to all of them because really none of none of this would have happened at Brown without any of them. Yeah, no, shout out to them, I guess. Uh, but no, yeah, no, I, I, I hope you, you take care, of course. Like I said, come back on the show when it's ready. Love, love to look at the report. Would love to. And thank you again for the work that you're doing. It's, it's incredible. And I hope that more young people can get involved and, and stay active in this work. Oh yeah, we'll make it happen. Awesome. Uh, I know you. Take care, Madison. Thank you. Bye.